That is where we are at this morning. If you will turn there with me, we are in chapter 10. Um, as we studied last week, uh, the, the goal and the, the, of the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ, somebody who would walk in submission to him, are to be faithful worshipers. And we define that from Romans chapter uh, 12, where we would lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. That everything within us would be, would be dedicated to the pursuit of his honor and glory. We purpose to serve him first and foremost. We seek his kingdom and his glory far above our own. And we're dedicated to his will and to his ways. Unfortunately, that's not the goal of many of God's people. And it certainly was not the goal of Israel here in the book of Hosea. We understand as we've studied through their idolatry, the depraved sin that they've found themselves in, and ultimately that they are now receiving or about to receive the corrective hand of God. So let's jump into this in verse 1. He says, Israel is an empty vine. He brings forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. I want to uh, talk about the fruitless ventures of Israel. Sally, I must have timed out. Will you? <laughs> the fruitless ventures of Israel. So it begins, Israel is an empty vine. And then it continues on, he brings forth fruit unto himself. Now, I want to talk about that because it's, uh, if you, in the King James, it says an empty vine and other translations say that. Other translations have a luxurious vine. There's a difference there. Uh, and it, what is being talked about is an insight into their spiritual condition. This is where the heart of Israel is. So empty vine, obviously no fruit. The fruit that is being born here are what we would call, if you're familiar with trees and, and those sorts of things, suckers. Those things that are growing up, they don't bear fruit, but they rob from the plant. They, the plant puts undue energy and effort into producing those things, sticks, twigs, and leaves, but not bearing fruit. So this is where Israel is at. They are bearing suckers, bringing forth fruit unto themselves. And that's why uh, some translations translate a luxurious vine. From a distance, this is a beautiful grapevine. Looks like it should be loaded with fruit, but upon closer inspection, there is nothing there. So that's where this falls from. Now, this is a doubling down on, uh, on, on Israel's sinfulness. Turn with me back to Hosea chapter 2 for just a moment. Hosea chapter 2 in verse 8, God by the prophet Hosea says, for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. So here is Israel, and in this description in chapter 2, we'll remember, they are bringing their offerings and their sacrifices, all of these things that that God has blessed them with before their altars. They're bringing them to their idols, and they're sacrificing them to their idols. And he says, 
because she did not know, she did not recognize, she was unwilling to acknowledge that I was the one providing them for her. So here's Israel again being accused of the same thing. They're bearing fruit, but unto themselves and not unto the Lord. They're bearing fruit uh, that, that doesn't purpose or further the honor or the glory of God. You have, to, you have to turn it on. It's totally my fault. There we go, John 15. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Oh, technical difficulties, I'll tell you. John 15, turn there with me. In John chapter 15, Jesus is giving us the parable of the vine and the branches. That, and he makes the statement, and the, the illustration is this, that God is in fact the stalk, the root from which we receive everything that we need. We are the branches, and as we are connected to Jesus Christ, who is the vine, that we bear fruit. Let's read verses 1 through 4 in John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, or the one that does the pruning, the, the, the care of that particular plant. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken in you, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Now, in this, in, in verse 2, he says, He purges that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, he's going to cut away those things that are sapping our energy, that are detracting from the fruit that we may bear. Now, I'm not an expert gardener. I don't know a lot of things, but I do know that when I prune my apple trees, they bear more fruit than if I don't. That if I take the suckers off of the things that are fruit-producing plants, I yield more fruit because the energy is being spent where it should be spent. So God promises here to prune those things, to remove them from us, so that we might fully serve Him. We're prepared to bear fruit by the Word of God. Did you notice that? He says, now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. You are pruned by the Word that I have spoken unto you. We're going to come back to that theme as we close this morning, because we're going to talk about some tools that God has given us. Now, we bear fruit like Israel when we are apart from Jesus. We may do all kinds of things that look good on the outside, that may, uh, from a distance, look good. But upon closer inspection, there is no fruit. We have to be connected to Jesus Christ. We have to be operating as those genuine and sincere worshipers, His kingdom first and foremost. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 11 through 15. Paul here says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abides, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved as yet so as by fire. Now, here's the thing. There's a, there's a parallel here. Are we bearing fruit or are we building with things that will endure? Or are we simply bearing leaves, those things on the outside? We, we remember the story of the three little pigs. Each one of them chose a different building material. One chose straw, one chose sticks, and another chose bricks. And when the big bad wolf came by, one of them stood. They were all built on a foundation, but only one of them was not overcome by the wolf. And when we build here, this is talking about the way that we conduct ourselves. Am I a worshiper of Christ? Is my life that living sacrifice whereby I honor him in everything that I do or say? Am I a consistent ambassador for the kingdom that I am a part of? Or am I simply bearing leaves? It looks good on the outside. You know what we would call these? These are our rags of righteousness. Those things that we may do, that we may put on the outside, and they might be good things. But apart from the foundation of Jesus Christ, they don't abide. We can go to church. We could tithe. We could read our Bible. We could memorize Scripture. We could do all kinds of things. But apart from the foundation of Jesus Christ, they're consumed. They don't add up. Now, for you and I as believers, there's a motivation here. And the Word of God gets to that motivation. We'll talk about that later. That's one of those tools that we're going to get to. But God is very good at identifying the suckers. So let's do that for just a moment. Let's talk about the suckers because, as, as we've stated in the past, that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we get to participate in the sanctification that God is pursuing within us. We know that it is His plan to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we can work with Him and be subject to that, or we can fight against it. In some respects, Israel is here fighting against it. They don't want to be part of God's kingdom. They don't want to be part of His people any longer. And we know that because they are His enemies, and they are conducting themselves as His enemies. Sometimes, those things that are fruitless within our lives might be good, but we've gotten things out of line. We may be uh, consumed with the cares of this life. Those are legitimate. We understand that those are legitimate. There are things that we need. We might have good things that are raised to an inappropriate place in our lives. I grew up in a religion where that was family, as good as it is, and as established by God as it is, is elevated to an idol. It's a position of, it holds a position of an idol in Mormonism. And so we have to understand that Israel had made a conscious choice since the beginning of their kingdom to walk away and to bear empty fruit. Right? We'll remember Jeroboam when he 
was chosen to be the king of Israel, he said, listen, we don't want them going to Jerusalem to offer those sacrifices because we'll lose. We'll lose people. So we're going to set up some idols that they might worship. They rejected the merciful correction of God over and over and over. He sent prophets. They chose to ignore them. They chose to put off those warnings and heed the merciful correction that God was sending their way. So these things that may be good, desire to provide, family, participation in church could become an idol. Our religious practice for the sake of religious practice, those may be suckers that are consuming time and energy and not bearing fruit for the honor of the Lord. So let's refocus for just a moment in Matthew chapter 6. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Jesus is speaking. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet before your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment or clothing? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they or of more concern to him than those birds? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take you thought for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, so here, here's the takeaway. If God would so clothe the grass, which is today and is gone tomorrow, O ye of little faith. Therefore, he says, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your Father in heaven knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow, for the tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient to, to the day is the evil thereof. Clearly there are concerns in this life, and God acknowledges that. Your Father knows that you have need of those things. Now there isn't even a prohibition. We're told we have to balance Scripture to, to some degree for our own understanding. God says to you and I as men, listen, if you don't provide, you're worse than an infidel. There is a concern for those things that have to be done. But what we find here is that the pursuit, the chief pursuit of even the person that is providing appropriately for their family is the kingdom of God, is his will, his glory, and his honor. As we talked about this morning in Sunday school, as we look at our sphere of influence within the workplace, and we understand that we may seek promotion, that we might look for furtherment in that, not so that we might necessarily 
reap a bigger paycheck, but that we might have a further or a greater sphere of influence within the occupation that God has put us in. So we're pursuing those things. And what do we have here? This clear statement that this is a faith issue. O ye of little faith. Are we trusting the Lord or are we trusting in something else? Here is Israel, they're trusting in themselves because they're bearing fruit to themselves. We want to bear fruit for the honor of the Lord. That's going to demand of us some trust in His goodness, some trust in His faithfulness. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, turn there, let's look at this, this passage for just a moment. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, whether it's simply growing in apathy, or at the very least, not keeping a healthy guard up about the very things that, we've, that we may have slipped into, we can begin again. Right Here we are in, in January. Some of us may have, or maybe we didn't, make New Year's resolutions, things that we're going to purpose this year to do. I don't have a problem with resolutions. If you want to make resolutions, uh, that's great. That's, that, that's fine. Most resolutions only last a few weeks. We fall off the wagon. We're, we're done. But you know, the good news is tomorrow is a new day, and I can just start there. So here we are. We're per, we fall into those things that may consume us. We slip into those things, as, and even if they're legitimate. But as the Lord begins to convict us, as the Lord by His Word begins to say, listen, these are areas where I need you to shore some things up. There, is the, there are times when we are overwhelmed, and we think to ourselves, I can't or I won't. It's too far gone. Well, today is a new day. Tomorrow is a new day. Begin again. Evaluate, correct, and stand firm. Don't grow weary in well-doing. God is with us in this process. He's the one that is pruning, that is cutting away. He's doing the identification. We're going to submit ourselves to the shears. One, one more reference here, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 12. Now I'm here with Paul because he begins not as though I'd already attained. None of us are perfect in any of this. Not as though I've already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. This is my pursuit, in other words, if I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended for Christ. In other words, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He has before ordained that we should walk in them. When Jesus is talking about those lights that are set on a candle, there is a specific purpose and place in which he would light us up and place us. We might show, shine light into that particular 
venue of darkness. So here is Paul making a similar statement. I'm going to press forward in those things that God has called me to. Now, those might be specific, but there are also those general things that we as believers should all be doing, whether it's the Great Commission, whether we as parents are active in our parenting, or children, honor your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There are those general wills and those specific wills that God has called each of us to. So, Paul here, I haven't apprehended, but this I do. I follow after, I pursue the thing that God has called me to. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, my sole pursuit, forgetting those things which are behind, our failures, those things that entangle us, the sin that easily besets us, put off those things, and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be, let us mind the same thing. Right? So he's this continual pursuit. We're not going to grow weary in well-doing, the things that we're doing well, and we're going to keep that up. We're going to continue to pursue that. We're going to engage in those things, not put them off. But the things that need to be shorn up, those things that God has pointed out, hey, we're going to have to do a little pruning here. You're wasting time and effort. You're spinning your wheels over here. This is not for me. This is fruit you're bearing for yourself. Let's cut this off so that you might get about the business of bearing fruit on my behalf. We're going to let that happen. We're going to be submitted to the plan and purpose of God in those things. Let's talk about, I want to talk about three tools as we close this morning. Three tools that God has granted to you and I as believers. Now, there may be other tools, but here are three specific tools that God has granted to you and I as believers to deal with the pruning issues. I know from the little bit of pruning that I've done, that sometimes a pole saw with a, that has a long reach is exactly the tool that is necessary. I can get up there and I can prune the things at the top that need to be pruned. And sometimes a pair of hand clippers, a pair of pruners is just the tool. It's well within reach. It's small enough that I can easily access it and do the job safely without causing harm elsewhere with that tool. And sometimes I need the loppers for the little bit bigger jobs. There's an appropriate tool, and if you prune a tree, the very real likelihood is you're going to use all three of those tools. So here are some tools that God has placed within your life and in my life, things that we find in the Word of God that will address some of the suckers in our lives. Proverbs 27. Turn there with me. Proverbs 27, verse 7, 17, Proverbs 27, 17, excuse me. It says, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The way that iron sharpens iron is, is an abrading process. Some things are removed as there is interaction between the two. And as we interact with one another, there is a necessary amount of abrading. There is a removal of those things that needs to be removed. 
we sharpen the countenance of our friends. In Hebrews chapter 10, we talked about this briefly this morning in Sunday school. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So here we are. This is, being, this is spoken to the people of God. Let us, you and I, provoke one another. The word provoke means to move toward, to push forward. We're going to provoke one another to love and to good works. Now, what is love in some respect, right? It's, it's an expression, the outward expression of our trust in Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. So there is a pushing forward in obedience to the word of God. And there is a provocation, a prodding to live that out to those good works, to building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ with those gold, silver, and precious stones, building, or or, excuse me, bearing fruit. Provocation unto love and good works. Now, we see this defined in Titus chapter 2 in some respects. In Titus chapter 2, there is an exhortation that the older would train and invest in the younger. Now, it may not be specifically referenced to our age, though it may be. But it's our maturity in the Lord, those that are mature in the Lord, teaching those things, prodding, counseling, engaged in, encouraging those who are younger in the Lord, those who need that encouragement. And I'll just add, it's not here in our notes this morning, but in the book of Galatians, it talks about those bearing one another's burdens that we see that person that is stuck in sin, and we come alongside that person. doesn't have anything to do. It says, you who are spiritual, you who are thriving, help those who are not thriving. We consider ourselves first, it says, very careful that we would not slip into the same thing. So here we are. Fellowship is one of the tools that God gives us to push us toward bearing fruit, to help prune away those things as we sharpen one another, as we engage in life with one another to the extent that we would have a relationship where I could say, you know, that thing there, that might be something that you need to think about. How might I come alongside you in that particular venture of pruning? Next, we have the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, let's read beginning in verse 7. He makes it very clear that it's a good thing. He says, and nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, it is very good for you, it is the best thing that can happen, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, now here in this passage, Jesus is telling you and I, as believers, what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in our life. This is what we would expect the Holy Spirit to do for us. It says, when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
He's going to reprove of sin, verse 9, because they believe not on me. Now, in this, we have some understanding that there is this, they don't believe on him, they're separated from him. There is a conviction of people of their need for Christ. That's what's being discussed here. They're being convicted of their sin and ultimately their need for Christ, their need for a Savior. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Here is Jesus, who is the only person that has ever walked this earth. He could say, I always do that which pleases my Father. That he, in fact, was the embodiment and lived out a righteous life. We had that example. We have it recorded for us in Scripture. But his disciples were looking at it, and they saw it. So we have the Holy Spirit that reproves us, that gives us some instruction about righteousness, because that walking, living, breathing example isn't here on earth today. Of judgment, he says, because the prince of this world is judged. Now, that's an important statement. He is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. This is something that was talked about in the class yesterday. We don't have to talk about, we don't have to teach everything. Jesus himself said, there are things that I would yet teach you, but you're not ready. There's a process of building, of growing. And I think that in that process for you and I as believers in that sanctification process, it is somewhat of God's mercy that he doesn't come in and immediately say, we're going to deal with every single thing that does not honor and glorify me in your life right now. I don't think that we could bear it. So in the process of being molded into the image of Christ, there are yet things that I am convinced God will reveal to me that he will need to prune away. And there are many things that you cannot bear them now. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. Now, he comes in, the Holy Spirit comes, he reproves, he instructs us, he teaches us, he further trains and teaches us. Now, we're not talking about new revelation. The Holy Spirit isn't going around saying, here's some new thing that Jesus is not recorded, it is unrevealed in the Word of God. That's not what's happening. But it's an understanding and a clarification of the things that are fully and finished revealed in the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit will poke around in your life and in my life. And will identify those shoots and those limbs and things that are causing us to be fruitless. Or at the very best, perhaps, hindering our production of fruit. And it'll be one of the instruments of pruning, of cutting those things off. The last tool that I want to talk about this morning is we as we close on this slide, is, maybe not this slide, I think there might be one more, is the mirror of the Word of God. The mirror of the Word of God. In James chapter 2, excuse me, James chapter 1, we, we studied this not that long ago, but James chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluidity or abundance of naughtiness, 
and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now here we have this engraft, this grafting. That's, a, that's another pruning practice. Things are pruned in such a way that apart from this plant can be brought into this plant so that it receives nutrients and grows and flourishes there. Now you and I are not native to the kingdom that we are a part of. We are not native as God's people. The Bible says that you and I, apart from Christ, are his enemies. We're on the outside. And that means that we are contrary to, we are not subject to, nor do we want to be acknowledging of the truths of God's word. In fact, Romans chapter 1 would tell us, if you'll remember, that we would want to suppress that truth. But we're told here that we are to receive with meekness the engrafting of God's word into our life. Paul would say it this way, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let it come in and have its perfect work within you. Let it do the things that it is designed to do. Let it be the basis of your understanding of who God is, of what truth is. When we come to the principle of grafting, it becomes something where it infiltrates everything. To the extent that we wouldn't just be those who would hear the word, but as he says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In that phrase alone, there's a description between bearing fruitless suckers and bearing genuine fruit for the Lord. Those who are hearers only, from the outside in, from a distance, they go to church. They hear the Word of God. They might even read it, but it doesn't have any effect. It stops at that level. Yet here we are commanded that this should be something that affects us. We would respond to it. We would do it. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. When he looks at himself and goes his way, straightway forgetting what manner of man he was. So we look into the mirror of God's word. We, we see what's there. It is a revealer, and we're going to get to this in just a moment, of what is inside us. And I might take that and I might simply recognize that, yeah, my hair is out of place. I've got egg on my face. But whatever it may be, and I walk away. Or I might be the person that looks into it and says, oh, I'm going to comb my hair. I'm going to wash my face. There's going to be some effect and some change, some difference in the way that I would conduct myself as a result of what I've seen here. Now, I want to finish this passage here in James quickly. He says, but whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, verse 25, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue, he does, but not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, I don't think that this is a total and a complete list, and I don't think it was intended to be. 
but it's an example of the outflow of having interacted with God's Word and letting it change our hearts. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We look into the word of God, and what it reveals isn't simply that I have egg on my face. What it reveals is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because I could be simply go... Through the motions, Israel was, excuse me, Judah was convicted of that by Isaiah. In the first chapter of Isaiah, they're condemned because they're simply going through the motions. You draw near me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. The motive, the thoughts and the intents of their heart wasn't to pursue God, but like we read about the kingdom of Israel, to bear fruit for themselves. And here's the Word of God is this tool that comes in and divides, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. With surgical precision, cuts through the garbage, the excuses, the rationalizing, the justifications that we may put out there, and simply says, you are not serving God. Or says, well done. The Word reveals the right action. It instructs us how we might move forward. Not only does it become a pr an instrument of pruning, it becomes an instrument of moving forward. This is how you shall act. This is how you shall conduct yourselves. These are the things that you should, as a believer, put off. They misrepresent who I am. These are the things to put on because they represent to the world around you who I am. For you and I, we understand that God has mercifully called us to repentance, just as he did with Israel. He said, listen, I want you to put off those things. And he did so gently for as long as he gently could. We have these tools that God has put before us to gently call us to repentance. Now, for the nation of Israel, it's a, for the kingdom there, it's about to get serious. They're going to go into Assyria, and they're going to, as, we, as we're going to find, they're not going to be able to worship there any longer. Even their idols, those things that they would have chosen over God, they're no longer going to be able to worship those things, let alone God himself. So God is here mercifully knocking on the door of our heart and saying, listen, these are the things that we need to prune. Here's what we need to cut away. He carefully conforms us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He sanctifies us. He helps us to be those that are accurately representing who He is and His purpose of redemption to the world around us. Now, we need to work out our own salvation, and we do so with fear and trembling, but we, part of that process is going to be refocusing 
to let the word of God dwell in us, to, to point out those things where, yeah, we've got we've to turn. I need to repent of those things. I need to put that off, and I need to resume these things for the glory and honor of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that as we have uh, even just a brief time today to look at the example people, Israel, Lord, and their failures and their successes and your ultimately your faithfulness to them. Lord, I, help, I pray that by your spirit and by your grace, we would be recognizing of your pursuit of us your calling of us to repentance, your purpose to conform us to the image of your Son, to cut away those things that would hinder us. Lord, help us not to be a luxurious vine, but one that is bearing fruit for your honor and glory. I pray, Lord, that as we engage in fellowship with one another, that it would be done with the intent that, Lord, we are an instrument in each other's lives by your sovereign design. We thank you for that. And I thank you for those who are here that you've used in my life, Lord, to be an instrument of pruning. We commit this time, Lord, of fellowship into your hands. Lord, we pray for your grace, and I pray that we would be submitted and open to not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, those who would respond to what we find in it. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your word in our lives. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ who upon that foundation we can build our lives without shame, without concern, but with full and wholehearted trust in you. We give thanks and we ask this now in his precious name. Amen. Thank you. 
Thank you. And we praise you to the new state of your heart. For it has been your hand, we are safe and secure. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, for the fellowship of this world. We praise you and we thank you for the salvation that we receive. And Lord, we remember those requests this morning for salvation. We pray for me, Lord, we pray for Eric this morning. We pray for their families. You would soften their hearts that they might receive you. Lord, we praise you for the opportunity to have to bear those words in Jesus' name. Amen.